They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Thanks to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So hopefully you've got your Bibles open at Luke uh, 8, 26 to 39. We're um, trying to bring about a cultural change within the church so that people are bringing their Bibles, know how to handle them, and uh, get used to reading them in their own time. We want to hear God uh, speaking into our lives through it. Um, Over the last seven weeks, we've looked at all kinds of people who encountered Jesus. Uh, We started with Simeon and Anna who were desperate to see uh, Israel's long-awaited Messiah for themselves. And they encountered Jesus in the temple when Jesus was just 40 days old, so still uh, a small baby. Uh, The devil encountered Jesus in the wilderness, uh, or perhaps the other way around, depending on which way uh, we look at it. And the devil found that he could not throw Jesus off course. Uh, Then we had the paralyzed man the man with the withered hand and the faithful centurion who all elicited Jesus's healing power and witnessed his complete authority over infirmity and disease. Next, we had the the grieving widow whose grief turned to joy when Jesus raised her son from the dead. And last week, we heard about a sinful woman who received Jesus's forgiveness and was overcome with love and devotion. In the case of Simeon and Anna, we saw that Jesus was and is the hope of not only Israel, but the whole world. When the devil encountered Jesus, Jesus defeated him, knowing that he would one day defeat the devil and all that is evil permanently. 
And in all the other encounters, we see Jesus in some way reversing the effects of evil in our world. And the people who encountered Jesus went away healed, restored, and forgiven. Today, we see what happened when uh, Jesus came face to face with uh, evil personified, when Jesus came face to face with demons. Uh, This is, I think, a tricky subject because uh, many people, indeed, I think probably many Christians, struggle with the idea that there is a devil and uh, demons. Uh, C.S. Lewis had this to say on the subject. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. He means demons. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. The majority of people in the Western world, I think, fall into the first category. They don't believe in the devil and they don't believe in demons. Uh, I don't know whether you've seen the film The Usual Suspects, but there's a point in that film where Kevin Spacey's character, Roger Verbal Kint, says this. He says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. Jesus had no doubt about the devil's existence. He was tempted by the devil for 40 days in the wilderness, and he and his disciples encountered uh, demon-possessed people on numerous occasions. I think this is going to surprise you, but, but in a list of the top 50 subjects that Jesus taught on, the devil comes in at number five. Jesus did not doubt the existence of the devil and demons, and we shouldn't either. So in today's passage, we see uh, that Jesus and the disciples went to the region of the uh, Gerasenes, which was a largely Gentile, non-Jewish area on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jews would have lived there, uh, but it would have been mostly uh, non-Jews who inhabited that area. Hence, we hear about this herd of pigs. Uh, pigs, of course, were and still are unclean animals for the Jews. They wouldn't touch them. They wouldn't eat them. They wouldn't uh, have anything to do with them. They certainly wouldn't keep them. Uh, so Jesus was in a, in a, in a Gentile area uh, where this is set. And it could be uh, that they sailed to this Gentile area to escape the crowds and the Pharisees and the political pressure of operating um, within the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. But as soon as Jesus stepped ashore, he was confronted by this demon-possessed man, and probably the disciples wanted to get back in the boat and sail back across the lake to where they'd come from, but they didn't. Uh, This demon-possessed man was intimidating, he was alarming, he was disturbing. Uh, He hadn't worn clothes for a long time, he was completely naked, Uh, he didn't live in a house, he lived uh, among the tombs in a graveyard, uh, which would have made him doubly unclean from a Jewish perspective. Uh, The locals had tried to chain him up, they bound his hands and feet, but each time he'd broken the chains and escaped. From the same story in Mark's gospel, we know that he cried out night and day and cut himself with stones. Now, we've got a very loving and committed pastoral care team here at St. Andrews, but honestly, who would want to deal with that? And it's important to emphasize exactly what Jesus was dealing with, because many people might read this and say, well, this sounds like the man had uh, some kind of terrible 
mental illness. And I don't think we can talk about demon possession without first understanding that demon possession and mental illness are not the same thing. I've encountered both in my life and ministry. Of course, mental ill health is extremely prevalent. An Australian government website states that one in five of us will experience mental illness in any given year. Uh, In some cases, mental illness can be so extreme that it results in the kind of behaviours that we've read about today. Uh, Before we moved to Australia, I was uh, a police chaplain in London uh, on uh, a very lively borough and a borough that was uh, beset with mental health-related problems. I'd go out with the uh, police patrols. Uh, Sometimes we'd be called to the most disturbing scenes, and I wouldn't uh, even talk about some of them in this kind of context. Uh, But just to give you an example, and it's just one example, uh, we went to the home of a middle-aged woman. Uh, As we approached the house, there was the most dreadful uh, stench. Uh, We went into the house. Uh, The woman was alive, but she was surrounded by absolute filth. Uh, There was food in the kitchen that would have been there for months, if not years. There was like packets of chicken that had swollen like balloons because the chicken inside was so rancid. There were empty vodka bottles all over the house, I I think uh, at least 50, maybe a lot more. Uh, She had a toilet, but there was a full bucket of urine in the living room. In her bedroom, there was a duvet on the floor that had been used for the other things, so it was and it had been used for, for months as, as well, so it was covered in excrement. Uh, the woman was half naked. We put a blanket around her. She was filthy. She had cuts all over her. And I honestly can't remember her saying anything. And my heart broke for that woman. I thought, how can this be allowed to happen? How can somebody be living like this in a civilized society? Was that woman demon-possessed? I honestly don't know. Can someone be in that state without being demon-possessed? Yes. Extreme mental illness can do that to someone on its own. Is mental illness evil? Yes, it is. It's evil because this is not from God. There will be no mental illness in the new creation. Is mental illness a sin? No. No. Mental illness is not a sin. Even the godliest of people can and do suffer from mental ill health. Sometimes it's hereditary. Sometimes it's random. Sometimes it's a result of trauma. Uh, Maybe somebody has been sinned against in some way or they witnessed something that their mind can't cope with. Uh, Mental illness has all kinds of different causes, but mental illness is not a sin. It is an illness. But just because we know about mental illness and the extreme ways that it can manifest itself, that doesn't mean that we then have to discount the possibility of there being such a thing as demon possession. Jesus was dealing with a demon-possessed man. And yes, I think we would uh, also want to say that this man was uh, mentally uh, ill as a result or as a byproduct of this uh, possession. I mean, we're integral human beings. 
shouldn't surprise us to learn that if someone is possessed by an evil spirit, of course it's going to affect them physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So we should never assume that someone who is mentally ill is possessed by a a demon. They're probably not. But we do need to realize that demon possession is also a real thing. Again, when I was a police chaplain, we got pulled to an address. It was squalid and dirty, not quite as bad as the other one I described, uh, but not far off. Uh, We encountered a man in his 30s or 40s. He was half naked. Um, He he was uh, filthy. His hair was long and matted and tangled. He was brandishing a frying pan. He was very uh, aggressive and verbally abusive. And uh, I was there in civilian clothes, so jeans and a T-shirt and uh, a a Met vest, which is like a police stab vest, Uh, but nothing to show that I was a chaplain. And at one point in this uh, exchange, uh, he looked at me and he had very wild eyes and he said, and what do you want, soldier of God? And I just felt really something wrong, you know, disturbed in my spirit. Um, the police officers that I was with, I mean, I was not long out the Marines as well, so they made that connection. And uh, the police officers I was with as well found that very disturbing. We had quite some interesting conversations about that. Um, I believe that man was demon-possessed. You see, all Christians are filled with God's spirit. God, God lives within us. You can't uh, look at a person and know whether or not they're filled with God's spirit, or maybe sometimes you can, but demons will pick up on it straight away. They're in the spirit realm, and they will see instantly. And that's what happened in this passage. Verse 28 says, When he, the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want from me? Jesus, summon of the most high God, I beg you, don't torture me. This demon knew exactly who Jesus was before the disciples had even worked it out. You know that time when Jesus asked his disciples, who do the crowd say I am? And they gave various answers. And then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are um, God's Messiah. Well, that doesn't come for another two chapters in Luke's gospel. But the demons knew instantly that Jesus is the son of the most high God. You know, you can believe in Jesus in as much as you believe that Jesus exists and uh, that he is the son of God. You can believe those things without being a Christian. The, the, the demon or demons knew who Jesus was, but they didn't follow him. It's not enough to believe that Christianity is true, we must put our hope and our trust in Jesus and follow him wholeheartedly. And that's really what the New Testament means when it talks about believing in Jesus. It's putting our trust in Jesus. So this demon or demons, they know who Jesus is. Uh, They know that he has complete authority and they fear him. And they're right to fear him because ultimately Jesus came into this world to completely destroy evil. Jesus uh, asked the man, he said, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. 
Uh, a legion was a Roman military unit. It comprised five or 6,000 men. Uh, this doesn't mean that 6,000 demons had gone into this man. It's just a, a way of saying there were a lot of demons. And it's fascinating, isn't it, that these demons pleaded with Jesus not to send them into the abyss, which is where they will ultimately go, and they begged Jesus to allow them into a nearby herd of pigs. And that's what happened. The demons left the man. They went into the pigs. The pigs went racing down the hill into the Sea of Galilee where they drowned. And we, we might say, well, didn't Jesus like pigs? Or what about the farmer? Did anyone compensate him for these pigs? Uh, you know, it's very easy to uh, create a sideshow with this passage. But if we do that, we're going to miss what Luke is actually trying to tell us. Here was a man whose life had been ruined by evil. He was out of his mind. He was physically hurting himself. He was isolated and friendless. In fact, there was nothing good about his life at all. And yet he encountered Jesus and his life was completely transformed. Do you know that everything that Jesus did points forward to the reality of God's eternal kingdom? Jesus established his kingdom here on earth. But the whole of creation is still marred by sin and death and evil. When Jesus returns, creation will be perfected and his kingdom will be complete. And if we want to know what Jesus' kingdom will be like, we just have to look at the kind of things that he did when he walked the earth. He healed the sick because there will be no sickness in his kingdom. He calmed the storm because he will have complete sovereignty over every part of creation. He raised the dead because death will be no more. And he drove out evil because evil will not be allowed to remain. It will be completely abolished. Evil destroys. Jesus brings life. Jesus said it himself in uh, John 10, verse 10. He says, the thief, that's Jesus' name for the devil. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full, fullness of life. And that's what we see. That's what we see in the Gospels, isn't it? Jesus overcoming evil and bringing life in so many different ways. When we think about that herd of pigs, it could almost be a picture of what the Jews wanted to happen in their time. They wanted the Romans, those unclean Gentiles, those pigs, to be pushed back into the sea from whence they came. They wanted their Messiah to deal with the evil that was the Roman Empire. But Jesus didn't come just to defeat one manifestation of evil. He came to defeat evil itself. He came to destroy evil in all of its forms forever. And we see a, see a glimpse of that in the story of the demons and the pigs. This scene, these pigs rushing down the hillside into the Sea of Galilee, uh, it caused quite a stir. Those who were tending the pigs, uh, well, obviously they didn't have anything else to do, so they rushed off to tell everyone uh, what had happened. Uh, they went into the town, they went to the countryside. Not surprisingly, uh, a large crowd descended on that place to see this thing for themselves. And when they got there, they found this well-known demoniac 
the wildest of men, sitting at Jesus' right, uh, feet, uh, fully clothed and in his right mind. Jesus had given him his life back. But not everyone who encountered Jesus was transformed. Not everyone took hold of the life that Jesus offers. The Pharisees certainly didn't, or most of them. And here we see that the Gerasenes didn't either. When they see this man cured, cured of evil, I mean, obviously the man was still uh, a sinful human being, but God had driven that evil from him. Uh, When the Gerasenes saw this man, uh, they were fearful and they just wanted Jesus to go away. They couldn't get rid of him quick enough. And some people can be a bit like that today. When their eyes are opened to the spiritual realities of this world, it freaks them out. They don't want to know. Uh, They'd rather pretend it's not happening. It's not real. But we all need to make a choice. Either we are on the side of evil and destined for destruction, or we are on the side of Jesus and destined for eternal life. And we cannot abstain from that vote. By sitting on the fence, by not making that choice, we are by default choosing evil. There's only two. If we don't choose Jesus, we've chosen evil. Now, of course, a vast, vast majority of people are not possessed by evil spirits, but evil lurks within each one of us. Uh, Everything that is opposed to Jesus and his kingdom is evil by definition. And there is nobody here that goes a day without some kind of evil thought, desire, inclination, or emotion. You know, a nasty thought, a lustful desire, the pursuit of worldly wealth, you know, putting that ahead of our relationship with Jesus, a burst of anger, a sense of pride. And Jesus wants to cleanse us from that evil because he knows the corrosive effect that it has on us doesn't happen in one go like a demonic possession, but the principle is the same. Jesus wants to banish evil from our lives, and he will do if we'll allow him to. It's a process that begins now and will be completed when Jesus returns. Only then will we be uh, made perfect. You know, I haven't yet touched on probably the most important point in this whole passage. Uh, Allow me to read verses 38 and 39 again, and we'll leave it on the screen. It says, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. In the Gospels, we hear a lot about those who were called to follow Jesus in a very literal sense. Um, but not everyone who put their trust in Jesus followed him all over the countryside. Uh, this man was told to stay and proclaim the good news in situ. Uh, it was such a dramatic transformation that he was a walking witness and testimony to the goodness and glory and power of God. And Jesus wanted him to, um, to give that testimony to those Gentiles on the other side of the lake. But look how Luke structures this sentence. He says, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Do you see how the words God and Jesus are used interchangeably? Luke is reminding us 
that Jesus is the man whose identity is God. That is why he has the power and the authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cast out demons. On the cross, Jesus would take all the world's evil upon himself. The casting out of demons was a prelude, and still is when it happens, to the eventual elimination of evil in all of its forms. Evil was defeated by Jesus on the cross. That's why at the very end of his life, Jesus said, it is finished. Evil is finished. It's defeated. Therefore, wherever we see evil in the world, whether it's uh, war in Europe, unwholesome cultural changes here in Australia, or the evil that still exists within our own hearts, we can be absolutely confident that it will one day be cast out forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for your word. We want to take it seriously. We want to live our lives by it. We want to be informed by it. We want you to speak to us through it. And we don't want to avoid the difficult or controversial passages. And we thank you for this one. It opens our eyes to the reality of spiritual forces of evil trying to undermine what you are doing in the world, trying to undermine your good creation. And we pray, Father, that um, in line with what C.S. Lewis said, you know, we will be aware that this is happening. We will pray against it and be on our guard against it, but we will not take an unwholesome and unhealthy and excessive interest in these things. Father, we recognize that the devil is a defeated enemy. Our focus need not be on him, but on your son, Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior. And we pray that you will continue to impress this upon us. In Jesus' name, amen.